Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I am your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Luca, who is a young woman who transitioned during her teenage years from female to male, or the simulacra of male, and then detransitioned when she developed enough mental perspective and self-understanding to realize what she was using transition to deal with. And in this conversation, we talk about her journey and her growing up being overly medicated and disassociated from her body and herself and how she went through the process of accepting herself and now being a young person, developing her life and her career and so on and so forth. These conversations with the transitioners are kind of a staple on my channel. And while there are certain patterns that are similar from one to the next, each story is very personal. And I'm very honored to host such reflective individuals. So without further ado, here is Luca. I'm on my bedroom bedroom floor, very like 2010s YouTube esque style. <laughs> uh, speaking of 2010s YouTube, what's your relationship to the internet? Uh, m- messy but like fun. So I, I am old enough to remember like on YouTube uh, initially when like the whole gamergate and adpocalypse stuff was happening except i was old enough to remember watching stuff about it except too young to like comment on things or be actually involved uh but i I definitely spent like a decent chunk of time online in my teenage years to say the least uh just because it's it's where i turned to when i was like going through it i watch a lot of a lot of politics for like a 13 year old i feel like um got interested in that which look at looking back it's funny because my my views are like drastically different now (laughs) but uh i was involved in that It, it kind of a mess got involved in the the whole trans thing online as well and along with also you know, the like the not fun side of it of ending up getting like groomed and preyed upon online. But yeah. <laughs> what was it about the internet that, that captured your attention and like sculpted or led you down the yellow brick road? I I think it's so at the time my that I like first got a smartphone, I got it right before I turned thirteen. My parents were going through a kind of messy divorce 
and it was a very nice escape to just like put on headphones and zone out and not have to worry about everything happening around me. Um, and it was also, I, I listened to a lot, like a lot of music during that time too. Uh, and it, it was just a nice distraction from everything else going on. <laughs> Sorry, let me just do one thing to this. How do I do this? Oh, wait, maybe this. Crop split screen. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so politics for a 13 year old what kind of politics and what year is this date yourself if you don't so mind this would it be oh boy hang on uh let's see 16 yeah 16 i i'm not hang on i'm doing i'm doing quick maths in my head to like find out the <laughs> year. this would have been maybe like 20 2015 i feel like is a, a solid okay. solid bet there yeah okay um, yeah. Like I said, there was there was a lot going on, so going back and trying to dates dates are not my strong suit. Yeah, but I, I try my best. And so I remember this GamerGate thing. Uh, were you invested in that at all? Is that not really. I think it was attention. more like, oh, there's drama online. I can pay attention to, and okay. that's easier than paying attention to my own problems. Your own problems. Same, same yeah. thing with politics, where it was like, okay, this is something that like. I can listen to and even though i definitely don't understand it because i was like you know 13 14 at the time um it's something i can listen to that isn't for the most part directly affecting me and my issues so yeah yeah and did you what kind of like output did you do like were you artistic kind of teen or uh, very, very much so. I I love to draw. I love to paint. Um, I just I like I like to make stuff. I st I still do. Um, I'm just very limited in what I can do now because most of those activities involved your wrists, and that is one of the areas I have the most joint pain in. Um, so mm. it's it's very it's very limiting in mm. in what I can do now. But I I do, you know, I I love to draw. I love to. Just, just make stuff in general <laughs> is is the joint pain related to like a congenital condition or environmental um factor? the really the only thing you can figure out is that considering it's my whole body is that it's probably from taking testosterone at such a high dose for such a long time at such a young age yeah what, um, what are the which dates and Milligrams. So I, I actually do specifically this date. I started testosterone on November 13th of 2018, and I stopped taking it about uh, late September, early October of last year. Okay. So from and, ages 16 to 20. And you said a high dose? Um, for Well, for a female body, a high dose, obviously. Well, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it varied because my, my dose did change throughout, like when I was taking it, started off at a smaller one, then went up to a, a bigger one, but, and, and then I actually back down to a little bit lower one at some point, but yeah. <laughs> hmm. What, how was your, uh, how did you get introduced to that? Um, 
So I was going through like a, this. This all stems back to I was going through a lot, and I guess I should maybe elaborate a little on that. So my my parents were getting divorced at the same time. As I was kind of venturing into places online, I was discovering, you know, places where the concept of transgenderism and gender dysphoria is essentially described as oh, you just don't like certain things about puberty. <laughs> Uh, like if, if you're a girl, you don't like your period, you're uncomfortable with your breasts, um, you maybe don't like the way society is starting to look at you as you develop, stuff like that. Um, and that kind of got twisted into, oh, you know, I, I'm not a girl, I'm just a boy born in the wrong body, which at the same time was a very heavy level of disassociation due to the fact that I was being preyed upon and exploited online to, to the point that there was like police involvement in that. Okay. Um, and like I, I had to go speak to do like an, an actual like interview for, okay. for one of the protection agencies. A male was chasing you down or female? Do you know? Um, yeah. So I, there were, multiple times I was preyed upon online. Only one of them ended up getting police involvement. Um, but it was, it was an adult male who was significantly older than me. And so yeah. naturally after that heavily, you know, disassociated from my body as this thing that like, it was, it was essentially the idea of like, okay, you know, if I transition or I'm having these feelings, it was almost like a fresh start to become a new person. And in a way, like, and of course, this is in hindsight, little like 14 or 15 year old me didn't realize this, but it is, it is a way to essentially become a new person and saying all that bad stuff that happened and the guilt and the shame that you feel about all that bad stuff, that didn't happen to me, that happened to someone else. And I'm not that person anymore. So therefore it didn't happen to me and I can like push it away and not really have to you know, come face to face with absolutely how horrific some of that was. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was such a, like a heavy level of disassociation that to the point when I, when I got to 20 and I started detransitioning, it felt like I, it hit me like a bus. It like snapped back into like, oh my God, this is my body. What have I been doing? What has happened? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, um, I guess you were 13, 14 when um, people started manipulating you online, grooming you online. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would have been the proper kind of skill set had you been educated to detect that? Like, what were some of the red flags or some of the positions that you put your, you might have put yourself into that you shouldn't have been put into or like allowed to go into or mm -hmm. some of the certain signals that you didn't pick up on because you didn't know any better? Um, I, I think a lot of it at the time was also me not feeling like I had someone to talk to in in my life and therefore kind of latching on to anyone who I felt would listen and care for me at that time. Uh, and a lot of this happened on an app that is now, I, I found out like as an adult, known for having a severe predator problem. Um, which was it's it's kick k i k not not the streaming service um but hmm. so it, it apparently has a, a very large predator issue on there oh okay. um and but and it's, like it's said, child like said, friendly or uh it's, appeal, so it's a ch it's a chat app and anyway so it's like 
a texting service, basically. Um, except it does have groups that you could join on specific topics. And I joined some that were, you know, kind of targeted for like transgender people or trans teens or stuff like that. And of course, you know, there are, <laughs> you have an app that's known for having a predator problem. And then you have groups of vulnerable teenagers gathering in one place, essentially unguarded you're going to have overlap there. And so these people would essentially lurk in these chat rooms. And when you would come in saying that you were having a problem or you'd post a, like a picture of your like face to be like, well, how do I pass or stuff like that? Um, they would of course, you know, kind of jump at that. And wow. as someone who was in like the, the depths of a severe depressive episode and anxious and just wanted someone to feel, you know, like they, they cared about me and are, um, to talk to it's it's very easy in that moment to be like okay well that this is okay because you know surely they might actually care about me hmm. what was your relationship to your femaleness or your your femininity um so i I've always been a little bit more of a, a tomboy in the sense of like, I played a lot of sports growing up. I loved being outside in nature, getting into the mud, um, stuff like that. I didn't, I was never the kind of tomboy that really like full out, like went with, uh, you know, like wearing full out male clothing or stuff. Um, and I, I never really had an issue with my, you know, femaleness until kind of like I was starting to really get into puberty. Um, I was not educated very well on stuff like my, my, my cycle, my period, um, which once again, like looking back, I'm pretty sure had I had just been taught how to like track my cycle. Um, so it wasn't mm. just this awful surprise all the time. <laughs> I, that probably would have made me hate it a lot less. Uh, but th there was that, there was the fact that I, spent essentially some of the key years going through puberty living out of a suitcase going back and forth between my parents houses um and you know at one house it was like okay i you know i i feel a bit more comfortable here i have you know like maybe like the feminine supplies i need i feel a little bit better and then i go to the other house and it's not that <laughs> uh so it's it's this chaotic like i don't feel like i have a stable environment to really even become okay with these things yeah um so you and also you the just, fact that i yeah go continue oh i was gonna say also, also the fact that like going into puberty i got to a point where i also didn't feel like i was connecting with other girls over the same things uh to the point where i, I was still very much like i i was like the the weird awkward little i, I was the i was the weird girl um where i you know i i didn't under understand to some degree like why people stopped being fun in that that weird almost like whimsical child way of like okay we're just gonna go outside and play who cares what other people think yeah. and it, it shifted into like i i suppose more stereotypical teenage things and i just i didn't get it but at the same time i was developing so i couldn't really you know go be like one of one of the boys and just fit in completely there because they also have yeah. their own things going on at that age and so i think that's probably one of the places where i first started feeling a real disconnect at least to girls my age at the time mm -hmm. 
So just, uh, you can get as biographical or as, uh, as remain as anonymous as you want to. Absolutely. I'm just trying to map out your situation. So your mom and your dad split up. Did they mm -hmm. repartner or was it just dad's house and mom's house? And did you have it a sibling was, too? That was being so I up? have one sibling. I choose not to talk, talk about them or even like say which gender they are. But so I have, I have one sibling, younger sibling, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, and then neither my dad or my mom repartnered, at least while I was still living at home. Uh, they both have like boyfriend, girlfriend now, but um, at least when I was still like in high school living at home, that was not really a thing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was just mom and dad's house. And just it was just mom's <laughs> and just dad's house. And did you have any extended family or like a church, like any cohesive social network that was shared between um, them? I had I had a few friends I would hang out from with from grade school, uh, from the little Catholic school I went to. Uh, I, I will say I, at this time I didn't really have a church because I was going through my very edgy. 13, 14 year old phase of no, this is stupid, mom, you can't make me. It's not a phase. Um, but there is that. And then I extended family, none really lived in the, the city I grew up in. So there wasn't really that. Um, so yeah, it was a very, you know, isolating feeling yeah. at the time of not really feeling like I had that community outside of like online circles to step into. And okay. I think that's probably what drew me to you know, the idea of being part of the bigger, like, LGBT community at the time was like, oh, this is a, a space, you know? Yep. It is a space. I'm trying to form my identity, and it's a space where I can be. Okay. Um, which came first, the LGBTQIA plus community or your actually internal sense of s sexual orientation announcing itself? Um... I, they, they happened almost simultaneously because by the time, so when I was like just going through puberty and like, you know, going from like seventh, eighth grade into high school, this is around the same time when gay marriage was legalized and this was like a big conversation. Um, and so of course that was getting a lot more attention and that was obviously becoming more and more prevalent. And as I was as I was developing. So it's it's a little bit of like chicken or the egg of which one came first because I, I had had crushes on boys, I had crushes on girls. Um, but it's the over labeling definitely yeah. I feel like came after. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. But uh, within that LGB community online it was kind of marketed to you or you perceived it as a place where you could just be yourself between categories exploring developing without uh it gave you a container to be yourself or explore yourself and catch up with other people who are being exploring themselves. Um, once again, a little, a little, it was definitely marketed in the, in essentially what you're saying is like, Oh, this is just a space where you can be yourself. Um, and that, that of course, you know, found me at the time. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how 
you know, you get into some of the online communities is the, they do, they do market themselves quite a bit. It's like, okay, well, this is like an accepting, this is a safe place. This is a, a place where you can essentially be yourself. Mm. And I, I do think a lot of this also just happened at like right place, right time or wrong place, wrong time, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, other kind of communities can be, communities can be formed out of several different uh, factors, I guess, like, uh, like an interest, like a hobby, like I'm into board gaming mm-hmm. or like these different gaming, like Pokemon or whatever, uh, yeah. or, you know, belief or like different kinds of discussion topics, like politics, you know, things that mm-hmm. are, there can be, there's a lot of groups that are formed on external things or, or things that I do, but LGB and probably other kind of communities are more about myself. Who am I? That That's mm-hmm. kind of like the work. So it can be kind of, uh, tempting on one hand because certain people and probably girls um broadly speaking are more interested in in the who who are you who am i rather than mm-hmm. what do i do how do i do and there's like you know this distribution thing it's not like only girls mm-hmm. and boys but i can see how it can be kind of appealing to find a find an activity that's about you and being something rather than doing something rather than something external. It's kind of internal. And what kind of friendships did you find there before you, you find the creepy creepazoids? Um, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of like finding relatability amongst people of, Oh, I'm also having this, these same feelings and we have a space to talk about it where it feels like okay. everyone else understands. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, obviously for, you know, teenagers looking for a sense of community, finding somewhere that like you can talk about this thing and people mm. may actually like understand what you're saying. That's, that's yeah. like a big deal. Cause yeah. that's, that's not somewhere, even with like niche teenage interests that you find a lot of places. Yeah. But that's also the inherent danger because like co-rumination can kind of spiral off the charts. Yeah. Like, so what did you int- uh, end up getting interested in talking about or ruminating over? Um, it, it was, a, it was a lot of talking about like, oh, this, this definitely means you're trans, this, this specific thing of like, oh, getting your first chest binder, getting, you know, stuff like this, getting a haircut. Um, that means trans, you know, the, a lot of talking about the, you wouldn't think about this stuff so much if you weren't trans, things like okay. that. It was, it was essentially yeah. like a, a feedback loop in a way of just over and over again like patting everyone else on the back and being like, yes, you are so valid. Look at this. This is so lovely. Okay. Well, okay. If everything means that you're trans, what does being trans mean about you? Like what does trans mean? Um, or what I, well, did it start to time. mean for you? Yeah. Um, well, at the, at the time it just, it, I was someone who I, I like truly believed, okay, no, my, my brain must be, must be messed up. I must have like a, a male brain in a female body that has to do what's going on. That that explains it, it, it is also presented to you as a way to like explain away your other issues about like why you're depressed or anxious. Um, and so, and so naturally I, I was like, okay, well this is like a, at the time what I thought was solid, you know, solid reason for, for why I'm feeling all the ways that I am right now and like why I'm so anxious or why I'm depressed or why I don't like these things about myself. It was like a solid, almost like medical reason that I could be like, yeah, that that's why it's not, it, it was pick, it was finding something that in my brain seemed like a very simplistic 
you know, kind of catch all reason in a way, yeah. instead of having to really delve deep and look into all the hard stuff and work through those things and maybe accept that I don't know what some of the issues are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what did, so if this, this category called transness, you start to, everything means trans and you can put everything into this category, this thing, what does it, what does it become? Like, like, how are you going to act on that? Or how, so how are you supposed it to? presented itself in like the first thing I did was I, you know, essentially, you, essentially it presents itself as you start following the steps that are kind of laid out there. Like, okay, what do you do first? You socially transition, you change your name, you change your pronouns. And then, you know, if you're doing the female to male, what do you do? Okay, well, uh, you buy a chest binder, you change out your wardrobe, um, stuff like that. And then it, then you take a step further and you go into medicalization. Okay. Well, I'm it's... really sorry. You don't have to answer this, but like, if you're suppressing this part, are you also getting a, a packer? If you're pr pressing down, did you, was that a part of the I, whole thing? I had, so I bought one. I never really wore it because it was, it's super uncomfortable. Like it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable. And I don't know why anyone would ever want to. <laughs> Like it's, it's so, it was one of the words I, I was like, yeah. I got it. Cause I'm like, okay, I guess this is like, this is what trans men do. If you, if you want to okay. pass, obviously. Yeah. And then I also realized literally like even, even that no one is looking at the front of your jeans. If they are confused, really all that confused, no one's looking there and yeah. being like, ah, yes. Well, that that does bring up a an interesting point. And again, for anybody who's listening, or to you yourself, like I, I'm, we're talking about very personal matters, and and I just want to mm -hmm. like I'm trying to approach this humanely and respectfully to you. But if you if you're not really attached to um, appearing or well, to having like a, a prosthesis of male genitalia, mm -hmm. then there's a it, that's not a sexual component, but how you describe that, well, I mean, there's some sort of sexual component there, but how you describe it is other people seeing you. So there's something about and, transness that was about mm -hmm. like being affirmed or being seen from the outside as well in, as internal. The, the entire thing, in a sense, is all about, you know, needing that societal feedback of, yes, this is what's going on. Because, you know, it's one of those things where, like, if, I, if you were alone on a desert island, and you had for some reason had these feelings would you feel the need to you know dress a certain way or hide your chest or do anything like that it, it's very much about you need that societal feedback to even be you know quote unquote validated for a, a lot of this is yeah. your entire identity in a sense and this is why it's almost dangerous for teenagers to be building this kind of identity is the fact that you are relying on other people, solely almost other people for how, you know, you interact with society and how you feel about yourself based on their reactions to you. You know, it's, 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 it's rather interesting in that way where it's like, instead of, I don't know, let's say the other, other kind of like youth movements of, of people wearing different kinds of clothes where they were, 
you know, sure enough in themselves that they didn't care what society thought about them. They're going to dress like this anyway. You have the opposite of that, where it's, I care so much about how society sees me that I am building my entire identity off of if I'm getting the right societal feedback. And if I'm not getting it, I'm going to demand said societal feedback. Yeah. And how far did that cause you to become hyper vigilant about how you were perceived? Did did it did, did then gender yeah. dysphoria so called follow from the trans identity after you started to reaffirm? I I would say it, it did because it's at least in the sense of it switched from like general bodily discomfort into uh, focus on essentially specifically the things related to my gender slash sex where it's like okay originally it was like oh i just feel awkward now it's like i am you know my I, i'm i'm hyper focusing on okay how does my chest look and then eventually how does the rest of me look how does my voice sound how am i standing how am i walking how am i sitting mm -hmm. um you know it what mannerisms <laughs> do i use if, if, yeah, i talk with my hands a lot and that was one thing that i at the time became hyper hyper vigilant about well, are, um, is it more masculine to talk with your hands or to talk with your hands? I don't know, but I, I do remember in, I can't remember which trans space, that being brought up as like a, a thing that people oh, apparently wow. pay attention to. Um, shocker. No one actually pays attention to this stuff outside of this very specific niche internet community. But yeah. um, it was essentially, it led me to, instead of being, you know, feeling comfortable in my body and learning how to work within the bounds of my body, it led me to be like hyper focused on every single little aspect of both myself physically and my behavior. Okay. Which was, I guess, okay to do that on the internet because nobody's examining you and that's where all these ideas mm -hmm. are coming from. But when you step out into society, how does it start to affect your I guess your personality or how you act out. Cause I mean, if you wanted to be a boy and you could choose whatever kind of boy you want to be, why not be the wise ass, uh, class clown? Why not be the, uh, the jock? You know, if you're going to switch your identity, why not be like the super confident, like macho man? Like, do you really get a choice on who your new self is when you go through transition? Um, I would say at least in my case, cause I, like I was in high school at this point, not really. <laughs> Um, it was essentially when I was going through it, yes, like if you, let's say if you had a magic wand and you could switch and pick any kind of like archetype, yes, except yeah. when you are, you know, at that age and talking about these things, you are, you are pigeonholed as the, you are the trans kid. <laughs> okay. Or like whether people openly acknowledge that or not, like that is, you are, you are known as that. Okay. What is the um, trans that, kid though? What's that archetype? Can you describe that? Um, in, in a way it felt like people, and I actually noticed this, like by the end of high school when I was kind of over at least the whole, um, like being open about transitioning stuff is that you're very much people anytime, like the topic of like LGBT is mentioned, it's that feeling of like, you can feel at least one person in the room turn around and look at you. Or like they say something and they just want to get a reaction out of you. Hmm. Um, I know, I know for a fact that in one of my classes, you had the the edge lord just making a bunch of like attack helicopter jokes, thinking he was going to get a reaction out of me. But then I laughed and 
I don't know how he felt, felt about that, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's it's a very much like okay, you are now like this is the big part of your identity that other people are going to focus on as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, regardless of you, like I was a very artsy kid in high school still, and I, you know, I when I was in the art room, when I was in the art room doing that stuff, it was oh more just like okay, we're focusing on this while you're here, but outside of that it did feel like every conversation you walked into, if people knew that you were trans, that was like in the corner of their mind, whether it be in a, a like genuinely curious way or like a walking on eggshells way. Hmm. Did that facilitate or uh, was that a detriment to establishing your first crush, crush experiences in person? Your first like um, deeper friendships? I, I don't really I don't really know because I so I I wouldn't even consider any any heavy quotes here relationships I had in high school like all that much of relationships because it was just hanging out with the person and their friends and not doing anything like yeah. that that was it yeah. um, but to to a certain degree um, and this this is true for a lot of the trans community is you see they kind of including when i was trying you kind of almost date within the bubble of people who think like you yeah um and i, so I suppose that's somewhat normal outside of this too is you date with people that you have shared things in common with yeah. um and so in high school that looked like okay well you know if you go to the the local lgbt support group for teens or like the the gsa at school uh, that's normally the kind of people you're going to be hanging out with. And that's probably the people who, if you're, if you are dating in high school, you're going to date. Yeah. And same with online. Mm -hmm. Hence the, the predators. Um, mm -hmm. uh, maybe an odd question, maybe nothing that you noticed, but did boys ever have crushes on you? And how would you handle like, like an obsessive crush about you? Cause I remember when I was a teenager, I, I had a series of like crushes on different females. So I wonder, did you ever encounter that? And like, how did that like reaffirm or there, make you dysphoric with your gender? You know, there was one, I'm thinking of one specific one when you use the word, a little bit obsessive that, he had i was on a i was on a club sport thing uh my first year of high school with this person's older sister and it's a club he, sport? he had a he had a it was so it was uh it was it was trap shooting which is like clay pigeon shooting oh. i i did that in oh. high school um I have, I have like i have my fancy letterman jacket from it and everything um oh, sweet <laughs> but um and so i actually i came out as trans while i was still doing that sport and they no one literally no one cared and that was actually one of the the places that first broke down a little bit of the cognitive distance i was having because it was like okay if, if you've ever been to like a, a trap shooting meet specifically in like the midwest it, it is very much like guns gods and pick up guns got and pickup trucks everywhere and none of these people cared and they were all respectful to me. And I think that first like broke down the, oh no, these are the people that I have been told online so many times absolutely hate my guts. Yeah. And then they're like high-fiving me after I do a good job and they literally don't care. I had like the little trans pin on my vest and everything. Hmm. Um, 
But anyway, there there was one who he had a crush on me before I transitioned when I was still at an all-girls school. And then afterwards, he still did, um, which was into like after I, I didn't, I hadn't done anything physically, but like he, he still, he still had a crush on me. And I think he came out as like bisexual or something at some point throughout that mess. We were like on and off again talking because hmm. uh, he, he gave me a little bit of the, like the, oh, okay, slow down. But <laughs> oh, what do you mean? Like uh, when you guys started to get kind of close, then he's like, "Wait, this is confusing." To no, me. no, just just being like uh, the texting a lot to the point where even yeah. like teenage me was like, "This is too much." Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So you turned a boy gay, briefly. Apparently, with, with your power of. Apparently, I, I transmasculinizing it like that, but I think it's more like. <laughs> teenage obsessions and yeah. when, when labels don't really mean anything anymore yeah you know yeah. yeah so if if you're going through this process uh, in your in your head and then online with people well so i didn't ask about this what about the teachers what about the adults in the room so called how did they accept or manage your uh, cross sex identity so everyone was pretty respectful about it. I never, I was never uh, one of the people that like made, made a huge deal about like being misgendered or called the wrong name or anything. I think at the beginning of each, each semester, I would just like politely, I, I just sent them an email that was like, hi, I'm going to be in your class. It's this block. Uh, just so you know, if you could call me this, that would be, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, just, just that. And I, like I said, I would never really get mad if someone messed up. I, I've had other people that would get mad, like on my behalf, would get offended about it, but hmm. it never bugged me. Um, the the school counselors and stuff. I'm gonna be real. I don't think they they knew a lot about the topic. Like my my high school counselor was also one of the GSA sponsors, and I I, I think they just wanted to be nice people and weren't all that educated on things, and were just like, well hashtag be kind you know mm, okay yeah okay. um and they were like okay well this is this is what we do i guess this is you know i'm i'm a good person so i'm gonna affirm you in this and yeah this is what we do w was there any source of pushback external to you not really i i you know i, I never really had a teacher that was like i'm not gonna do this um, and I think for, it was because for a lot of them, it was like their first time really dealing with this. Cause I, if, if we talk about like the wave in people identifying as this stuff, I would be like right at the very beginning before it, like, at least of like the, in the mid 2010s, like before everything shot yeah. up yeah. to the point where even I noticed this where like, um, in my senior year of high school, I was like, wow, there's a lot more like freshmen and sophomores with these interesting identities. Um, but for, for a lot of people, for a lot of my teachers, at least I was, you know, the, one of the first ones that they encountered really, hmm. at least in this, in the way that like I went about things. Wow. And so 16 is when you started to medicalize. Yes. Wow. How did you, what was the roadmap? Did, and did you, come up with it yourself? I guess you said that things were laid out for you, how to enact this trans identity. So the medicalization thing, that is where 
it did break off from like your standard like roadmap layoff uh, layout, I should say, is uh, because so I the, my biggest problem was my chest at the time. I was uncomfortable with it, obviously, because it had been one one of the things that led up to me being you know victimized online was my chest in a sense of like that is something that was used to prey on me and so naturally i was very like disassociated from it i didn't like it Mm. um at the time i was doing i was i was binding so of course then you have that extra literal pressure like on your rib cage that you you know if you think you have to bind and then there's a solution to maybe not have to bind anymore but still get the same effects you're gonna want that but so my, my biggest issue was my chest at the time that i didn't like and i had, I had expressed this to the uh gender affirming therapist i was seeing at this point uh mm. whose specialty was uh quote unquote gender diverse young people oh and <laughs> hmm. and um so in, was this your first therapist? Like, we didn't okay. talk at all about your therapeutic life. What? Oh yeah, so I, I, I guess to give a, a little bit of background is I came out as transgender in what is known as a uh, partial hospitalization program. So it is a step down from inpatient, where you are there during the day, but you don't like sleep there. Um, so it's an it's essentially an intensive therapy program. Okay, and. I because... was there because of the trauma surrounding being preyed on and being very depressed yeah. due to other life circumstances and things like that. I came out as trans while I was there. That is where my parents were told about it. Um, that is where you get the the first little mention of the of you know the perceived suicide risk of like okay, well we better go along with this because otherwise there's suicide risk. You know the whole would you rather have a living daughter, a living son or dead daughter thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that happened. And then from there, after I came out, I was switched over from my like normal talk therapist to a, a gender, a therapist that specializes in, is in this, in, specializes in this, who was a gender affirming therapist. Okay. So did your therapist, your talking therapist, your, your vanilla therapist, did they feel out of their depth and then like schlock you over to the rainbow sherbet therapist? Um, that is, that is essentially what it was where my therapist was like, well, I can keep seeing you, but also I don't like, I'm not specialized in this issue that you are specifically presenting, mm. but yeah. we know this other therapist who is, that might be more yeah. useful. Okay. Were they more useful? Um, they could the speak your language at least, the, right? What? They could speak the the trans lingo. They could, they could they could speak the trans language, and in the sense of like putting me down the path to medicalization, they were useful. Um, in the sense of like actually dealing with the deeper issues, looking back, not really. Hmm. Like I don't the the whole like getting preyed upon online and the trauma resulting from both that and like the mm-hmm. then the response to that in real life when it came to like the police and my parents and stuff yeah that was that was never really dealt with i think i did one or two sessions of uh like the the eye movement therapy where you like stare at something yeah um i did that 
for like two times and that was supposed to help with 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 that it, it, i don't think it really did <laughs> and um, you, you already said that when you started to detransition all that trauma came back all that trauma related or associated to your body yeah it, it came it came well i stopped essentially disassociating from my body um and then or at least like handled it if i if i had any bad any feelings like that um and came to realize that that's what i was doing in the first place and yeah no that that was really never never dealt with um the the whole you know being preyed upon thing yeah um and the, which had and to do with the your res- sex the result of that which had to what? do with your body uh, the being preyed yeah, upon which had ha- to directly do with like my physical body and my feelings towards it that was never really dealt with i was put on a ton of psychiatric meds throughout this whole time as well like i was uh in my freshman year high school i was on oh i forget which one but one like antidepressant anti-anxiety med along with xanax um okay to like deal with the fact that i was anxious to go to school yeah during this time uh, and then I was later prescribed, I was on different SSRIs up, up until I was 20, essentially. Um, I was prescribed, you know, ADHD meds, stuff like stuff like that. There was also like, aside, aside from like the social mental health factor, there was also the sheer fact that I was on a lot of different medication throughout my teenage years that yeah. you think might be a little bit of a red flag for, for yeah. like approving someone down a pathway. And the um, some of some of the the psych meds, I would actually say, almost aided in my disassociation from my body. More so because they put me at kind of like a a foggy baseline, where, you know, I, I don't really have to think about these things if I'm if I'm a little bit too doped up to really realize what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Were you? Did you pose a risk to yourself or others during this medicated time? Other than that uh, no. visit to the no, it was intensive care. I I was very I was going through like depressive episodes, um, and it, it felt like that the solution was never okay. Let's you know kind of teach you how to work through these and like maybe maybe fix the other things that aren't helping in your life like the fact that you're staying in your room all the time and eating like trash <laughs> and like not talking to people you know that maybe make a stable home life stuff like that like stuff that could genuinely have helped at the time was never brought up and instead it was you know we're gonna take your medication and like go talk to someone once a week about gender stuff yeah so I just you're already inculcated into a uh, the way to f- fix things is through drugs. Uh, that's what the adults are yeah. giving you their, their solutions. Yeah, and it, it and it wasn't even it wasn't even just the you know psychiatric medication. Um, another thing that was like immediately medicalized in my life was the fact I didn't like my period. Is I was put on birth control at fourteen. Uh, to just to skip it entirely to skip oh, it entirely not to manage what? it to just take the pills all the way through and skip it entirely uh, who recommended that i guess your general practitioner doctor or? uh it was recommended by 
my dad and the birth control packs I was given were from his, they were sample packs from his friend who's a doctor's office. Oh. So they are, they are one month sample packs. They're just like, they come in a little box like this. This is the brand on it. Um, so I was, I was on birth control. I did not actually have a prescription because this was seen as a way of like, well, it's the same result, but it's free essentially. Um, and I, I was told, well, you can just, I, I, I kid you not, this was a line that was told to like 14 year old me was, you can just take, you can just skip the sugar pills at the end and take it all the way through and just skip it entirely. That's what women in Europe do all the time. I have no okay. idea if that's actually what they do, but I, part of me doubts it. Um, uh, so, um, because uh, birth control is related to your cycle and your cycle changes, it has a different effect mm -hmm. over time. And so they give you a certain amount of sugar pills. So you're always in the habit of taking it at a certain yeah, time. Is so, kind of yeah. Yeah. It essentially, you have like a couple weeks worth of the actual birth control pills. And then like at the end of the pack, there is like four or five days of just sugar pills. So that way you have like a scheduled time where you would have your cycle, but you're still yeah. in the habit of taking the pill at the same time each morning. Okay. Um, wow. And so I, I, I was just, I was just told to just skip those, um, and just go right on to the next pack. Okay. So, um, oh. so I, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, that was hmm. like the first time, if you want to talk about like immediate medicalization of a normal, healthy bodily function, that would have been yeah. it. Tied to your sex. Tied, tied directly to my sex. And then you think about j just how much like stuff like one hormone levels but also stuff like sexual development in terms of like sexuality and figuring out kind of like you know who you like whether well, even even what gender you like and then and then you have like a, a teenager who is essentially on hormonal birth control mixed with a bunch of different psychiatric meds that can also mess that up yeah and it's like then it's like okay well no wonder i was confused about that part as well yeah yeah, you're kind of like a cyborg. You're just kind of swimming in a soup, and then I, I and then was, the internet. I was swimming in yeah, I was swimming in internet and medication soup throughout my oh, entire wow. teenage years. And and then your gender affirming therapist puts you on the transition path, and this is where your story kind of deviates from other female to male to female. Yeah. And it, it, it deviates in the sense of like I like I was mentioning that my chest was my biggest issue. I brought this to the therapist and the idea came up of, okay, well, you could you can have top surgery first without being on hormones and, you know, top surgery being a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I the first transition related uh, medical intervention I ever had was a double mastectomy at 16. Um, because I like before I was on hormones or anything else, no, no blockers or anything, just double mastectomy. Um, because that was the area of my body that I was the most hyper fixated on at the time as being a problem. Okay. So why would the medical professionals look at your body and agree with you that this is just i would like to know as well frankly yeah <laughs> um because it's it's it, it's the thing of like okay so you have you know you have a child or a teenager and they're they're coming to you and they are telling you 
I I am distressed and I think every single every single thing is wrong with me down to my very being down to my very physical form why would you be the adult in the room that looks you know the struggling young person in the eyes and goes yes everything is wrong with you and we need to change everything about you to fix that oh wow okay and i i still have aside from just sheer belief that they're doing the right thing there i really don't have an answer yeah um, because that, that's, it, it, it takes a certain, it takes a certain kind of, you know, adult specifically to essentially be a professional at doing that to young people. Cause you know, when you think it, it wasn't just me, this, this, these, these, you know, prof these medical professionals are telling other young people that are coming with that same distress and thinking everything is wrong. They're also telling them that they are wrong and that everything is wrong with them. And it is preying on insecurities in that way. And then uh, rescuing them somehow definitively mm -hmm. from these insecurities. Mm -hmm. Was there any talk about like the, just like the meaning of the breast to you? Like what's the meaning behind it? Like any exploratory, like why behind this fixation? Like what is this? represent to you any of that kind of it, deeper it, symbolic thing nope it, it, it was just oh you're it's, it's because you're transgender that has that's it that's it okay um it, it was it was essentially yeah that that's why that's how it was just it was in, just the gender thing in the moment where you did was that positive thing for you did you feel good like okay yeah i'm i'm on the right path and it, it felt like it because it was the only path forward really presented to me was transition. Um, and you also have the, the little kind of like worm in the back of your head that like, even though, you know, I wasn't, you know, a, a suicide risk at any really at any of these points. Um, it, it's, it's a little worm in the back of your head that when you're told this over and over again by the community as if you, you know, if you don't transition, you might want to kill yourself um is that getting especially as a young person who's confused and scared and doesn't know it's good that gets in the back of your head to the point where it's like okay i'm not suicidal now but if i don't go through with this will i be mm -hmm. you know and it it, it kind of like it, it just it's that little that little thought back there that just if i don't do this will those feelings arise even if they're not present at the time um and that that definitely played a part because i wasn't like i said i wasn't a suicide risk but that even then that thought was still in the back of my head of if i don't you know this is what is this is what is presented as what will save you and you're essentially being chased down the path by the thought of okay well if you don't do this then you might feel like killing yourself yeah and you didn't want to die mm-hmm yeah. When it when it is presented as transition or death, that is especially especially for someone in a vulnerable state. Of course, you're gonna pick the one that isn't death. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you're you're gonna pick the one where you have a hand reaching down, claiming they're gonna save you. Because yeah. when everything else around you is falling apart, you're gonna grab onto that one thing that is promising you over and over again that they will save you. So 
So were you, do you feel like you were given uh, informed consent then for the, just for the medical procedure in and of itself, just like what a double mastectomy actually means, the complications, the risks, and then the, the life consequences of that? Not really in the sense that some things were explained to me, but even then, like at the time, I wasn't really fully able to comprehend what that meant. Um, you know, let, let alone by the fact that I was in such a disassociative state at this point that it felt like my body wasn't mine. So, you know, mm -hmm. removing a piece of it was no big deal. Really? Um, at the time, like it, it looking back and I, 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 this, this thought pops into my head, like looking back, I really don't understand how the professionals could look at like everything that happened that was going on in my life and that had happened and just be like yeah you definitely will understand the long-term impacts of this this hmm. like I, I i just I, I don't understand how they could you know look at someone who whether yeah it, you just did, didn't understand it purely by everything going on um, I remember thinking about at the time how the surgery was actually performed, like the, like what they would actually be doing. And it made me so queasy. I felt like I was going to throw up. Really? Um, cause it, but then I, I yeah, cause it, it didn't feel like at the time when I was going, it didn't feel like it was really happening to, to me in a sense, you know, cause I was so, I felt so disconnected from my body. Um, and then when I, when I had that thought of like, oh, this is what is actually going to be happening, you know, where I had the, had the mental image of like, you know, them actually cutting and removing tissue and doing all this stuff that it almost made me vomit. Uh, when I had that little bit of clarity hmm. of like, this is what is going to be happening to your body, that that was my reaction to it. But I was still so disassociated and thinking that it, you know, not feeling like my body was my own, that it still went ahead. Did you have a driver's license? I did not. I did not learn to drive until I was 19. Okay. So you, you weren't able to drive or you didn't know how to drive? I, I didn't know how. Um, I, I suppose context there is I lived in a place where I was able to walk places to get what I needed for the most part. So it wasn't a huge deal. And also because I was a pretty big homebody and just like doing stuff in my backyard. Did you have uh, um, access you know, like, to, to cigarettes or alcohol or marijuana? No. Were you, were you able to go down to the store and buy a pack of cigarettes? No. Okay. Tattoos, piercings. Were you allowed no, to do that? I, I had my ears pierced, but like, no, not for either of those. Okay. So no tattoos, no alcohol. Uh, you can't even drive yet, but you're free to cut off your breasts. Yeah. They trusted you with that decision. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I, I, you know, if I, and it's, it's one of those things where like, if I had gone to, you know, at 16 to a tattoo artist or at least a, any tattoo artist who has any sense of a moral compass, and told them I want my entire back done. They would have, you know, shooed me the hell out of the store. Um, you know, and even if you want to, you want to talk about tattoos. Like thinking about the ones I wanted at sixteen versus 
you know, what I like now is such a big change that, that and that is like minuscule compared to, you know, what actually happened. Um, and it's, it's just insane to think about. How was it? The procedure and then waking up from that? Um, so right. So right before the procedure, they, it was at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So I was already kind of like dizzy because you, you can't eat anything for that day. Like but but you took your pills. I'm, yeah. So you're drugged, but you don't have ate anything. Yeah. You, you take, you know, you take whatever medication you need to take, but you, you can have like clear liquids. Yeah. Um, I think I maybe had like chicken broth. That's not really a meal though. Um, and so, you know, I go, I go in there. Um, and well, one thing that happened before I even had surgery was they put the IV in and I am very sensitive to, I don't like needles in the sense where if I feel something move under my skin, um, my body's reaction is to black out. <laughs> oh, uh, so they put the, they put the IV in. Um, then the surgeon comes in and he asked me to like to stand up so they can draw the markings on. Uh, I feel the IV move. I black out to the point where I'm pretty sure they finished drawing stuff on where I had to have like a nurse with their hand on my back. And I, I definitely like went for a minute because the next thing I don't remember him finishing drawing the markings. I just remember laying in the bed still before the surgery, but with like a cold washcloth on my head. Um, so it, it wasn't for very long, but like it did happen. Yeah. And he's marking uh, so, you up like a like a cattle, like a cow. Yeah, he's he's drawing he's drawing the sur the surgery marks of like where stuff is going to go, okay, or like where incisions are going to be made. Um, and so then, you know, after after you know that happened, and I I come to again, uh, it, it was you know time to do the surgery and did that. That, the, that whole thing happened. I don't really afterwards remember much aside from getting home and sleeping. Um, I had, so it was outpatient. So I, I had surgery where I, no, I was, I was very out of it. Um, yeah. but I, so we got home and my, my kind of surgery, I have like the, the post-surgical compression garment on, um, which also had to be I said, like taped or safety pinned on the shoulders because of how skinny I was. And it was made for someone who was like, it, it didn't fit me very well, essentially. Hmm. Um, but I was also, I also had surgery with drains, which I found out, I found out recently that a lot of the detransitioners didn't have this. Um, last time when we all saw each other in Colorado, I was, I was talking to some of them apparently they didn't, but my, my surgeon did drains, which were the absolute worst thing ever. Um, cause it is essentially, and actually I have separate, I'm not going to lift up my shirt, but I have, I have separate scarring from it. So like my, my surgery scar is like about there a little bit below it. There was just a little, little circular scar where the drainage tube was in. And that helps with swelling and bruising. Uh, so that way you don't get what some of the, you know, post mastectomy photos look like where it's like swolled up and black almost. Yeah. Um, but so my, we had to empty those a few times a day. Um, during this entire time, 
I, I actually had to stop the pain meds that they gave me early and just take like a bunch of ibuprofen because they made me feel so car sick I couldn't sit up. In the car uh, or just anywhere? Just, just I, I say car sick, but like motion sickness. Like I would move okay. my head and it felt like I was having like motion sickness. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I had to, we had to stop those. Um, try, anything else? That, um, when they took the, they took the, the, taking the drains out was genuinely the worst thing in the world. Um, because no one, no one bothered to tell me. See, I thought the drains went in like maybe like that much under your skin was a lot more like this much. So like six, 12, 12 inches or 10 so inches? So like or... it was, it was essentially almost like curled. Around your... Under, yeah, under my chest. Pectoral um, muscle, I guess is called Under, that. yeah, under like the pectoral area. Nobody, here's the thing, they did not warn me that that's how much was going to be pulled out uh, when they removed them. Um... I screamed the F word so loud in that doctor's office. Like I, I straight up, I straight up yelled it just one all, just fuck, just in the doctor's office when they pulled that out. Um, because it, it hits, it hits all as it, as you're pulling out, you're, you're mostly numb, maybe a little sore, but you're mostly numb. It, it wakes up every little nerve when they pull that out and it feels oh. like a wet fire under your skin. Oh, wow. Wet fire. Mm -hmm. Cause it, it burns cause you're hitting every little nerve and they're just awake enough to burn a little bit. Yeah. Is this, is all this pain and sacrifice and almost uh, like persecution going on with you? Like this body horror, uh, this kind of this crucifixion, does that reify mm -hmm. your trans identity? Does that make you cling tighter to I am trans? How do you psychologically process that and make that meaningful? I, I think I, I think yeah, like I, I processed it in this fact of like, okay, well I'm I'm trans and therefore this is what you know, this is what trans people go through, and I'm going through it as part of like my treatment, essentially. Um and then you had like this the the social aspect of like the you know, the um LGBTQ I support group I went to. This is Where treatment. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. It, this is a treatment. Like, oh my gosh, you're yeah. you're getting you know you're getting top surgery. That's so cool, and you have this the social aspect of it. Okay. Um, and I I say, I say treatment because at the time, you know, back to kind of what I mentioned earlier is I I genuinely thought that like, you know, that it was it was like a medical thing wrong with me. Like there was the social aspect to it, but in terms of like why I was you know, going forward with medical transition, because I genuinely thought that this was essentially a treatment that would help me hmm. in terms of like, you know, if you're sick and, you know, you take something to get better, uh, it was presented to me a little bit like that. Hmm. And naturally, once again, if that's the only path forward presented, um, and you're, you're scared, you're gonna, you're gonna take it even if, You know, it's you find out later that it, it's bunk, and that you and you look back mm. and you couldn't really consent to it, and all this stuff. But in the moment, the people selling it to you were so persuasive with everything they were saying. And you're 16. Yeah, and and yeah, 
Might have, you know, might, you know, or not, might have not been are, kissed, but are, already, yeah, groomed and no. sexually assaulted. I, I, so I, I had been groomed and sexually exploited, but when I first started my medical transition, I had not ever been in a relationship. I had not had sex. I had not really done anything sexual at all. Hold hands. Um, I had never been on a date. I had never, you know, really kissed anyone yeah um yeah i i I had never done any of that and they they were still like ah so you you are someone who clearly understands what it would mean to lose the the ability to do certain things there um not not to mention the just the the general the general standard of 16 year olds are not gen like generally known for having good long-term decision-making. That's just kind of like a universal thing that people seem to know, but then casually forget when it comes to this issue. Yeah. But how, how was the healing process? Um, so I am someone who think that like it, surgery is wrong, but thank God, at least I did not have any complications. Like some of the horror stories you hear. Um, it was, rather quick i had like like t-rex arms for a little bit where you can't really raise anything because it's so like tight right there yeah um but yeah it was it was it was relatively quick i i took pretty good care of my scarring just because that was you know when when you're used to already being medicalized going through like a scar care routine in the name of healing is pretty easy to do (laughs) Did it feel liberatory at all? Euphoric at all? It, it it did because, like, when you think about it before this, I was wearing something that was literally compressing my rib cage for, like, eight plus yeah. hours a day. Okay. So, of course, all of a sudden you get this done and you heal enough and you're like, oh, my God, I can breathe again. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then, it, was, I, yeah. I, it was nice to not have to, like, because before that I also... I didn't. I didn't like bras because I. I I'm pretty sure it's just because I literally never had one that fit right. It was always sports bras, and I didn't really like having them on all the time. And so, of course, then you have that aspect of it of like, okay, well then I don't have to wear those or the the compression thing. Hmm. So yeah. Hmm. And then after you achieve this level of transness, what's next? What do you do now? This um, is suicide still so, there, or do you're like you're free from the threat of suicide? Well, so since I I had surgery and I had surgery in July of 2018, and then in November of 2018, I went on cross sex hormones because you know after I had surgery and I healed from that a bit, um, it was almost like the the hyperfixation that I had on my chest shifted. To like the rest of me or like different mm-hmm. aspects of the rest of me yep um because because it's, it's almost like just cutting off the hyperfixation instead of fixing why there is a hyperfixation isn't how you yeah solve problems uh so it's it switched from things like okay well now i have a i have a flat chest uh to like okay um you know what about my my voice at the time what about you know 
I'm trying, I'm trying to, you know, just, just the rest of me, maybe not looking super masculine. It was, it was hyper fixation from, went from essentially on my chest. Okay. Well then they got rid of my chest and instead of, you know, fixing the issue, it just made the issue worse everywhere else. Yeah. Or then I was like picking apart the rest of my body. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the general, uh, your vanilla psychologist could have talked to you about OCD and coping mechanisms about obsessive compulsive mm-hmm. disorder. But instead of doing yeah. that, they see that you're, you're obsessed with gambling. So they, they take you down to a casino and say, okay, well you're obsessed with gambling. So just hang out here. Um, so that mm-hmm. they, they will treat your, your gambling obsession. They're, they're, specialists in gambling right yeah it's it's it is i think it is a very apt comparison to someone who you know has anorexia and opposed to getting them treatment you like put them on like eating disorder tumblr and just say go wild except it's in person and you're actively doing things to make their condition worse yeah um because what i looking back what i really needed is i need i needed help with like body dysmorphia and just feeling comfortable in my body and you know trauma trauma therapy stuff like i needed stuff like that and instead it was essentially you know i was going through a very chaotic time and instead of helping me kind of take a step back from that chaos and realize that things are going to be okay they affirmed that chaos into reality Mm -hmm. um by going along with it Mm -hmm. how did testosterone take to you um, so it, it start it started, it started changes very, very quickly. Uh, the first thing I noticed, it was actually my skin texture changing, like even, in, even in my hands. Um, and I think this this might just be a, a me thing being a very like, I don't know, like sensory touch based person, I guess in, in like the non neurodivergent way but just in like the the noticing something's different way um or it felt like the skin on my hands was like tighter and rougher all of a sudden like specifically on my palms um and i could feel it when i would pick things up and i was just like this feels weird and then you have the skin texture changing everywhere else like my face and getting acne from that and stuff like that being a lot more oily um things like but that that was the first thing i noticed and then my my voice started to drop um and that that is one of the things that happened i don't want to say rather quickly but de- definitely had a very very drastic effect uh because my my voice did get very 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 low at one point um and it's 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 not yeah you know, i'm talking a little bit different way right now so it's maybe not as as apparent as it as you it have might a nice be, silken but, um, baritone for us. How uh, low can you go? <laughs> um, but I, I can talk down here pretty much no problem. That is just that is just a thing I can do, and it was a lot lower when I was on testosterone. But I don't like doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you could do that <laughs> um, at a drop of a hat, though. I I, I can I can drop it. Um, but I I don't I don't like doing that. Yeah. Just because I, I am I am at least somewhat aware of like the I, I don't know the, the sheer contrast between me like opening up with that voice versus like how I look and dress. Um, but uh, 
Oh, wait, yeah, are you holding? So... Are you holding a very special uh, stuffed animal? You are. Look at that. I'm holding a lizard. Is oh, get on camera. Uh, yeah. I'm holding a shapeshifter. Gave this to me. Oh. Um, along with the the bracelet that's on it right now. Um, yeah. When we did, we filmed a, a panel for Jubilee. <laughs> Um, on you on YouTube together, and Shape gave me a lizard, and the lizard lives on my my chair that's like right off to the side here, and I, I grabbed it so I have something to mess with. Um, yeah, but yeah, my my voice was my voice was a big one, and eventually, you know, I, I had um, pretty pretty decent stuff like fat distribution after a while of taking it as well. Uh, obviously, body hair picked up a little bit i i never i i never got to the point where i had like actual like full facial hair but i would get like the the shadow of it hmm. um but it was stuff like that. a lot more a lot more muscle mass accumulated easier than it it would um there's just stuff like that. i didn't at the same time that i was taking tea i was also on Vivance at the time. And so okay. those two, so fun fact about taking testosterone is it makes you really, really hungry. Uh, and fun fact about Vivance is it makes you really, really not hungry. Okay. Um, and so those two together also gave me like an interesting relationship with food at that time because it, it, it messed up my hunger cues so badly, both those together. <laughs> Wait, hold on. So Vivance, V-Y-V-A-N-S-E, is a yes. ADHD medicine, and yes. testosterone, at least how it affects young boys, is makes them kind of like hyperactive. And so you're taking something to suppress mm -hmm. and increase your mood. You're taking like two opposite mood or a kind of brain. Yes, and then there there is also an SSRI thrown in there somewhere. So all okay. those things at once. <laughs> So are you, um, what are you like? Who are you like to live with? Were you like insane or what? How did you behave? No, because I, I had, um, I had, I had non specifically like non hyperactive ADHD as I think how they described it as, and I just didn't like sitting and listening to stuff for a long time. <laughs> you got bored easily. I got, it was literally just, I got bored and had trouble like sitting down and writing papers. Oh God! Why didn't Why didn't anybody just take you out into the woods for three months? I no, genuinely, like I I swear to God that would have fixed my problems because that's kind of what I do now. Is like that's what you do now. When I'm, go when I'm going through it, I just go out into the forest and like do. I just go out into the forest, do some manual labor, and just deal with the joint pain it causes later. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um. So this is seventeen. No, like, you're on. You're on all these drugs this is your drugs yeah, for the year 16 16 16 okay okay yeah. um but all that all that's going on i'm i'm still in high school at this time as well so you got like normal yeah. high school issues um it's it, it was a lot <laughs> what do you think about the future what did you want to do with your life or be when you grew up i genuinely had no idea at the time um even even up until like my senior year of high school i really had no idea what i wanted to go to school for i had no idea what i really wanted for the future um i'm also i'm part so i'm part of the, the covid class i graduated in 2020 when everything was shut down uh i 
I, I didn't really have like a graduation ceremony. We had like a video and I got my high school diploma in August of that year by driving through by the school. Oh. Uh, so there was that, but then I took a, I took a gap year because I decided that I was not going to pay college tuition to sit at home on my laptop. Smart. Uh, so, so I did that and that gave me, that gave me some time to think and really, um, get in, you know, like get into maybe what I wanted to do. And so I changed from, I had initially been applying to schools, uh, to colleges for some sort of like unspecified kind of ecology, environmental plant, like plant stuff. Okay. I initially was doing that cause I, I, I really like to garden. I like plants. I like herbs. I find the entire thing really interesting. Uh, and then it, it changed from that into like over the gap year, it changed from another interest of mine. And this is something that give or take, I might still pursue once I'm in a little bit better place to do so, um, was funeral service. And I got accepted to a school as a pre mortuary science major. Um, so I was, <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I was looking into doing that just because I, I still find the, I still find the entire, you know, thing like industry fascinating. And I think it's mm. something that it helps people. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not currently in school for that right now, but I was, I was looking into going to school for that. And so that's initially what I, that's what I moved up to Minnesota to do is I, I, I moved up here with some with some roommates initially to start school to do that, and that didn't pan out in the sense that I went through my freshman year of college pretty fine, uh, and then my sophomore year is when I started to detransition. <laughs> what sparked that? Uh, so initially it was that it started as me stopping the SSRI I was on is kind of the first step back from being medicalized I took uh, because I was, I was doing a lot better. I wasn't even really taking the ADHD meds I still had at the time just because I did kind of, I don't know if you want to say mellowed out or like just learned how to do things without them. But you matured. So I, that's what we used to call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I did that. I stopped those be, because of the fact that I, I was to the point where I was like, well, like I kind of hate taking a pill every day. I hate having to, you know, schedule all these appointments to continue getting my prescription. I don't like having to go to the pharmacy to get it. It's kind of, it's kind of annoying. I don't like taking a pill every day. I'm doing so much better. How come there has never been any mention of me stopping these medications? Hmm. Cause hmm. we think about it at this point, I had, I've been on like, at this point I had been on some form of psychiatric medication since I was like 14. And I, I was getting to them. I was like, okay, are they expecting me to take this for the rest of my life? Like at what hmm. point, at what point am I? You know, at what point are we going to maybe stop this and I just learn to, you know, kind of function in the in the world without without this? And even if it's hard, learn to function. And that's that's kind of where that's where things started. Um, and 
there, there was a, a little a little bit of double think going on at this time because I, I stopped it in the, I want to say in the spring of my freshman year, I stopped my essay. Um, and a little, little bit of double think in the sense that I was like, wow, I'm sick of taking a pill every day while actively still injecting myself with testosterone once a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you, you'll 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 see that you'll see similar train of thought come come back just a little bit later, um, but so I, I stopped that also because at the time um, I was on Prozac and it was putting me where I was like at a very numb baseline of a mood where I was like I'm I'm not feeling excited anymore I don't really get sad anymore, um, and of course testosterone made that worse in terms of like numbing out emotions. And so I did that and then stopped the SSRI, everything kind of, all that thought process kind of went on the back burner because at this point it's like finals week and then I, I go off to work for the summer and so that kind of just got put put on the back burner. I'm, I'm no longer taking the SSRI, but I'm, I'm still doing testosterone. Uh, and then I get, to the end of, I get to the end of the summer and throughout my time at work, there was someone who I had gotten kind of close to. I don't know if you would call it a real relationship but whatever it was it was someone who as an adult for the first time i actually felt like i had that connection to even if it was rather brief um where i first started thinking about seriously like what do i want my future relationships to look like Mm. do i want do i want kids because at 16 I was very adamant on that I didn't want children and I was terrified of getting pregnant because I was 16. Um, <laughs> like the, and, and to the point where after being on T for a little bit, um, I almost had an hysteric- uh, hysterectomy at 18 slash 19. Um, and, you know, you know, thank God that that got that did not go through. But it was it was something suggested by my doctor as like the next oh. step. Oh, um, based on what? Like, why would you need that taken care of? Do you, are you dysphoric uh, based about on, your internal organs? Uh, based on the fact that I was terrified of getting pregnant, and that was just like sold to me as a rather simple solution. Oh, yeah, we just take it out. Hmm. Uh, you um. I don't want to heap trauma upon you, but like the way that these people are treating your body, like it's just a piece of meat is just, it's sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely it is, it sacrilegious. Is treating, it is treating the human body like it's made of Legos, yeah. essentially, that can just be shifted around and, and um, you know, removed without any consequence. And the history was actually where my parents drew the line because a little fun fact, this was being discussed when I was 18. Uh, In Nebraska, the age of majority is 19. And so Hmm. to even schedule this, I would have still had to have parental approval Hmm. because of the fact that in Nebraska, I was not a legal adult yet at 18. Hmm. Um, At least, at least in terms of like how that, how that would have had to work. Yeah. Um, so that that actually ended with me sitting in the other room getting my my blood drawn and 
uh, I could hear my parents in the other room yelling at the doctor, and a distinct line I heard was, lots of kids have issues that doesn't mean we sterilize them, oh. was something that was yelled at my doctor at that time. Which, I, I say that, and I know a lot of people then go, okay, well, why did your parents go along with the other stuff, is normally the follow-up question. And that is simply because they thought the other stuff had actual sound science behind it. Like they, they were deferring to the professionalism of the doctor. Yeah. Um, whereas this is some, like a hysterectomy is something that both my parents knew quite a lot about and know, like they knew what it can do to the body, especially so if someone gets one so young. And so, you know, when it goes into like, okay, that's maybe something they know a lot about it's it's easy to you know it's easy to call out bs when it's a topic you're informed on versus like one that you maybe are having to defer to experts about what was your um what was your emotional reaction to hearing that yelled um i think in typical teenage fashion i was very embarrassed that my parents were in the other room screaming at someone <laughs> <laughs> i was just like oh <laughs> it, it, I think I think in, in very typical teenage fashion, it was, oh my God, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> oh, jeez. Huh. <laughs> um, but, and I, I do remember, like, also being upset afterwards because of the fact that, once again, I was so heavily disconnected from my body that I didn't realize just how large of a decision that was because also in, in like in some of these you know trans forums online removing your body parts is talked about with such simplicity mm. that it's almost the same as like getting a tattoo or you know getting a piercing that you might yeah. it, it's it's talked about with such ease and even by the doctor it was talked about as such like a simple thing um that I, I don't think just just the merely how it was discussed also put a barrier in place of me being able to really understand the true gravity of what some of these things meant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so that happened when I was eighteen, and then uh, you know, the flash forward to when I'm twenty, I'm thinking about what I want in life. I'm thinking, do I want kids? Do I what do I want my relationships to look like? Uh, at this point, I had also started developing some health issues. Uh, my, I was like sore all the time. You know, like my joints were just were sore. Um, I would get like a little random bursts of pelvic pain. Uh, and um, have you have and you been to... on the pill the whole time? Had you uh, accepted no. the ordeal of a period at some point? In no. The... So I. I stopped the pill after having been on T for a while because testosterone will stop your period. Okay. Um, so you, but so you I hadn't same, had a period. No. So no, up until I was, so from the, from the period of when I was sick, not even 16, 14, when I started the pill up until 20, I had not had a single period throughout this entire, you know, ordeal. So I get to 20 and it, it feels like it, I, I will openly admit that the first time like I started bleeding again at like 20 years as a, like a 20 year old woman having a period and it felt like I was back to being like a scared little 14 year old not knowing what to do about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you know th th thank God um, <laughs> I, you know, 
had better resources, I guess, now to figure that out. But yeah, that's yeah. not it, 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 it's scary to think about. Um, but I, I got to I got to essentially the fall of would have been my summer year in college. I um and say oh I was thinking about all this stuff. I was also at the time thinking about just how much the entire thing limited my freedom in a sense in in the most like aggressively American way to put it. Um, mm -hmm. because, because, of, because of the fact that at this point I had joined a, a club at my university where uh, it was like going on camping trips and I realized how much I liked that and how much I kind of like doing like spontaneous little like camping trips by myself. Um, and also about the fact, once again, thinking about what I want, realizing maybe I don't want to live in a big city. Um, and then thinking about, well, yeah. hey, I'm limited at this rate on where I could move because I need like specific blood work done. I need a pharmacy nearby that can fill my prescription and get me the syringes and stuff for this. I need a doctor nearby that specializes in this and realizing just how limited that is. Yeah. And like in terms of where I like, I can't go off and live in a cabin by the in the woods by myself if I need, you know, blood work and a Walgreens nearby. Um, um, and I was thinking about that. I think about everyone kids, and then that led to: Do I want to spend the rest of my life reliant on a medical industry? Um, and. It, it was they, also at this point that like the the regret was starting to hit like full force. <laughs> okay. Right before we get to that, um, mm -hmm. you said earlier that that this was presented to you as as the solution. Mm -hmm. Did you feel solved at any point during your transition to? Um, not really, because I mean, if you if you look at my transition, I. I had what would have been essentially all the marks of like a successful pediatric to teenage transition. Um, you know, I passed, I was in school, I was, you know, I, when I moved up, when I moved up to Minneapolis, I didn't tell anyone aside from like my roommates who already knew, I didn't tell anyone that I had transitioned. I just kind of lived like as a guy and even throughout all that there were there was still something that wasn't quite right you know like that didn't feel like i i was doing i was supposed to be doing i was supposed to be you know i was supposed to have this like I, it was supposed to be fixed at that point like everything was supposed to be fixed but deep down there was still something that just made me feel so incredibly disconnected from both myself and essentially others in terms of whether that be you know friendships or relationships or all that stuff um that wasn't and yeah there was it was one of those things where like the aesthetics were all there that this should have been fixed but everything wasn't. I was still, you know, in some ways hyper fixating on parts of my appearance, even though they had changed. Um, I was still, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the ways I could, one of the ways I could tell how I, when I was like hyper fixating on my appearance was sheerly how complicated my skincare routine would become at certain points. 
um, hmm. because I was trying to fix every single little thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like it was by all metrics, I should have been thriving in the way that all uh, this should have fixed. I should have been, you know, better. And in, in some ways it felt, it felt more comfortable in the sense of like, okay, well, I wasn't really having to deal with at least the, the societal pressure that is put on, you know, women to, you know, look or be a certain way. I could be kind of my like weird quirky self. And that was acceptable because I was a dude. <laughs> um, but, and then I, I kind of realized that, oh, this was almost me just like, like, like I said at the very beginning, it was almost me creating an entirely new person so I wouldn't have to deal with the issues of what had happened to me. Um, and then it, I got to the part where I was, I, I made a, uh, one of the first things that I made a, a Reddit account and I posted on the, I, po I posted on the DTrans subreddit, um, and the, the the gist of my the first post I ever made on there was essentially me being I'm confused I don't know I don't know what's going on I this doesn't feel right and it was me laying out in very simple terms and this was before I, I detransitioned but the, the the thought process of like I don't know what to do do I dig my heels in and just go full force, you know, almost like macho man living in the woods, or do I kind of take a step back? It was, it was like, I, I, there was a fork in the road in front of me and the two paths were essentially dig your heels in and just keep going with this. Cause this is what you've known. This is what is familiar. It's a lot less awkward to have to explain to everyone what's going on. If you just dig your heels in, um, yeah. or tape, take a step back and, you know, start dealing in the realm of reality, even if it's hard. Um, I also think that post had a, a little bit of me being like a, a little bit, a little bit of stereotyping it in the sense of like, well, I feel like if I, I feel like I need to stay transitioned to have like the certain interests or energy that I like, you know, hmm. like doing very masculine things. Yeah. Um, there was a, there was a little bit of that, but it was, a, it was a lot more confused. And I actually, I don't even have access to that post anymore because it was on, it was on a complete throwaway account. I, um, yeah, I, I just reached out and then a few weeks later I started weaning off a of testosterone. So what was the decision? What did the decision come down to for you? And what was that which decided you on backing away from four years of identifying and medicalization and building a self? It came down to, um, similarly, similar thought process, um, to when I, I stopped the SSRI of, I don't think I want, I don't want to be a permanent patient. I want how to, I want to learn how to deal with this 
I want to learn how to deal with this in reality, and I want to face it head on, even if it's going to be difficult. Okay. And something that your therapist could have done. Something, yeah, something I could have been taught to do and helped through at a much, much younger age before being medicalized at all. Yeah. Um, which just it, it which didn't happen, and then I'm I'm figuring that out on my own at yeah. 20 years old, not even not even telling anyone for the first chunk of time. Like I, so I made at one point I, I joined like the D Trans Discord server and was talking to people there. I posted on a different another throwaway Reddit account back on the the D Trans subreddit, um, and I. I was slowly going off of testosterone at this time, and I think it was right after I had taken my last dose of testosterone, I went up and I sat in my attic, and I filmed essentially a little video diary to myself. Um, because I, I'm someone who, I, I don't like writing things, I, I am much more of a talk, talk person. Um, so I, I filmed that, and initially, th th that just sat in my phone for a while. Hmm. Um, and then I got to a point where I was having <laughs> some emotions, whether smart or stupid at the time, <laughs> that I was like, you know what, if I... Because it, it was essentially like a video diary to myself about everything that happened, but it was also kind of like a message, and I was essentially ranting about the state of things at the time. And I, like I said, I had some emotions, whether for better or worse, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to post them on Twitter. Uh, so I made a Twitter account, I posted them, I tagged them as D the D-Trans, D-Transition. Uh, I thought like 20 people would see them, because I was like, oh, this isn't yeah. going to be an active side of the internet, it'll be fine. Um, Famous last it, 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 words. A, a lot, a lot more than 20 people saw them, like a lot. <laughs> and mind you, I did had not tell, told my mom or anything when I started, like yet, when I was doing this. I, so that happened. Uh, and then I, I it's, it's the same Twitter account I use now that I, those were posted on, if you, like at the very, the, the very first post on there. Yeah. Um, but so I, I, I made those, um, there's actually several more video clips that didn't get posted with those. Cause I posted about five that I thought were at least like the ones that encapsulated most how I was feeling, mm -hmm. um, posted those, didn't post the other ones. So I started talking about my experience more and more. Um, <laughs> And then it, it did get to the point where I was like, okay, I absolutely have to tell my mom what's going on. And the, the issue being, I was living with roommates at the time. My roommates didn't really know. I couldn't, and I couldn't tell them that I was talking about this stuff online because I don't think they would approve. And I was genuinely a little bit fearful that at least one of them might be actively hostile towards it. Um... And so it was probably late November, early December when I ended up telling my mom. I 
was in the curled up in the passenger seat of my car back where it was parked behind the building uh and i called her there and i was just sobbing like a full full full-blown sobbing ugly crying on the phone to my mom um about what to the point where i i didn't even like have the words initially to tell her what was going on because it, it just felt that drastic to me. Cause also, cause I knew it would hurt her. I knew me cause she, she had reservations throughout the entire thing, but she kind of went along with it because of the pressure from, you know, my dad and all the doctors and it was the right quote unquote, the right thing to do. Um, and I, I knew it would hurt her. And so, you know, <laughs> that also isn't a fun feeling knowing you're about, you have to do something that is going to hurt your mother. Um, yeah. But so I, I I didn't have the words for it, and I was just sobbing on the phone to the point where she asked me like, "Is are you okay? Is someone hurting you?" Because she didn't she didn't know what was going on, and then eventually I just I just said it. Um, and we we had a, a really really long talk. <laughs> what was what were the words? I mean, just um, what did you say? I I'm, I'm pretty sure this one I. I regret all of this. This was wrong. What what is happening? I I don't know what's going on. I regret it. I I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry so much during that conversation. Um I I wish this hadn't happened. I want to go back. I I'm scared. I'm help. I a mess. It was a mess of words surrounding regret and being in pain because at this point i was also fully off of testosterone and was being hit by full-blown like chemical induced menopause symptoms um like full it was it was so bad um just just full-blown and yeah i that was probably one of the saddest moments in my life is just being being curled up in my, you know, the passenger seat of my car, sobbing to my mom about how the past four, yeah. five years have been a mistake. I, yeah, I mean, it, it's your experience, and I don't mean to editorialize it, but I can see it being a, a sad memory, but that's like, that's your point of return. Like that's, that's like the, mm -hmm. that's the part of, that's the redemption, it's, you know? Yeah. It, it's sad in the sense of everything being discussed and having to, you know, tell your mom something like that. Um, but it is also, I, I think it was one of the points that, made it to where it can be like how my mom and I are today where we're a lot closer because it felt like the truth finally just coming out after all this time of almost like playing pretend with that mm -hmm. everything was okay yeah um and you know you know naturally she she was really concerned I once I calmed down a little bit on the phone um we kind of went through the health issues I was going through at the time and she was like i i really want you to go talk to someone which that didn't work out but um she was just because she was concerned she was concerned as i think any parent would be when 
you have your 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 twenty twenty year old child sobbing on the phone about something that serious. Yeah, yeah. Did you have hope or faith in the process of that that the truth would reveal itself and that you would be okay? How did you look at the future when you initiated I your think, detransition? I think to detransition in the first place, you have to have some sort of hope that things are going to be better. Um. Because you're, and I guess, I guess some sort as well, because you are, are, you are having to essentially tear apart this identity of yourself that you have built over however many years you were transitioned. And you are essentially taking a leap of faith that, yes, I am able to handle reality. Hmm. Um, and that's that's one of the things where it's like, it was very, very hard. Like I, my last fall was just awful for me in general. Like just with everything going on, it was absolutely awful. Um, I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it. it. It sucked. But having gotten over that hump of like everything sucking and everything hurting constantly, um, there is a lot more hope that I have now about my future. And actually being able to picture a clearer future, which I would have never have been able to do, to do if I was still transitioned. Hmm. Um, what, what, when's your birthday? Uh, January and uh, January and my birthday is near the end of January. So, you, so you are about to be twenty-two. Is that right? Yes, I'm going to be. I'm going to be twenty-two this January. You're going to be twenty-two. Yes. I I remember my nineteen twenty and twenty first year, and they were uh, havoc. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't have that extra baggage that you had. Mm -hmm. What helped it, you? It's over the last year. Um, I think be, being able to talk to other detransitioners definitely helped. Uh, just in, in terms of actually detransitioning and just like uh, there is an understanding of like the pain there. Um, I, and I say actually in the terms of detransitioning, just because of the fact that like there's not a lot of, if any, medical professionals that are all too interested in helping detransitioners. Um, and so you essentially learn things like, okay, if you're going to stop hormones, do it in like smaller increments each time, as opposed to just stopping cold turkey, you learn that from the stories of other detransitioners who did that and said, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Hmm. Um, and there was that there was, I think, so in the, the winter, so essentially last January, I made the decision at that point to pull out of college um, and drop from my classes because at the time I was dealing with things like, I still do deal with these, but they were a lot more consistent also because my apartment was freezing and so cold made it worse, but like joint pain, um, you know, you know, uh, pelvic pain and irritation and 
vaginal atrophy, incontinence, um, just a mess. My, my heart was doing weird things at the time too. And I made the decision that I just, I can't do college at that point anymore. And I, yeah. I pulled back. Um, there were, there were days last winter when I would just be like sitting in bed, like looking up at the ceiling and everything hurt so bad that I was just like, I, I can't, I can't do it today. I can't get up. Um, and I, I think part of what kept me going and I, is, is I did have other things in my life at the time that were hopeful. Um, like at the, at the time, the, the job I had, I, I, I loved and I was like, okay, I, it was, it was a seasonal thing over the summer. And so I was like, okay, I just, I just have to get through the winter so I can make it to, to staff training for that. So I can do this thing and be in the place I love. Um, <laughs> so stuff like that, little things like, uh, uh, and reconnecting with some people in my life and, you know, doing things like playing video games with them when I was able to, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it was a mess, but I, it made me appreciate a lot of the small things I was able to do, like, so much more um, than I did before. And, and and it still does. Like, I'll, I'll do, you know, like, smaller things. I'm like, wow, this is, this is great, because I am able to do this now. Hmm. <laughs> like, I, I, I went out and I helped do trail work on hiking trails this fall. And like, yeah, it, it made my sleeping in my car for two days and like doing manual labor made my joints hurt a lot, but at least I'm not stuck in bed. So um, you, you're on the mend then? Uh, hopefully. Some stuff is probably just here to stay forever. And the tough part is that we don't quite know which part's which. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I still deal with, I still deal with pelvic pain, um, on, a, on occasion. Um, I, I still, I still deal with joint pain. Um, I've just found better ways to manage it than what I had at this time last year. Uh, it, it also, I will also say it also helps that I'm in an apartment this year where I have insulated windows. And so everything's not cold all the time, which made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, I'm, I'm essentially in the process of learning to manage and live my life in spite of what I'm going through, as opposed to letting my health issues get in the way of me living a life at all. Yeah. So your body is absolutely ground zero for reality, but mm -hmm. there's also other realities, I guess, that you were distanced from uh, through the trans identity, through these SSRIs, through all this medication and stuff. How is reality? Mm -hmm. How are you doing? Like, like in terms of who you are, in terms of being a woman, if that's what you are. Mm -hmm. If that's how you think yeah, of yourself, um, that's how you need. I I'm doing pretty. I'm doing pretty well. I feel a lot more, just like I I suppose grounded would be the word to use. 
um, in my body. Like I feel like myself, I should say. And that's such like a nebulous phrasing of things, but like, um, but I, I feel a lot more grounded and I feel a lot more in tune with my body. Like even if, even if the, you know, the kind of entire like rhythm of my body is slightly messed up. At least I'm in tune with it, even if it's not traditionally what you would want. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's that emotionally. I, I'm, I'm doing a lot better. I'm doing a lot better. And I feel more, I suppose, fulfilled emotionally than I ever did when I was like numbed out on testosterone and SSRIs. Um, I can cry again, which is something that happened. That wasn't happening when I was on both of those medications ever. <laughs> is that a is that a good thing for you? It it is because I think having like pent up like years where you were just like even if you're going through like awful things and you're not able to release that somehow is also not great for you. Like I think I think I cried maybe once on testosterone and even then it wasn't like a like a cry cry it was just like a like dry sobbing and that was when my dog died (laughs) um like that was that was it i was so incredibly numbed out and even that didn't last like very long be just because of how like numb and essentially apathetic all the medication made me feel towards everything in my life um yeah so i the emotion emotionally i have like my ups and downs still but i know how to manage them and i would rather feel them and manage Hmm. them as opposed to feel nothing and just go through life numb has there been a marked difference or change in your ability to connect to other people or the quality of your connection to others I would, I would say, yeah, um, because I, I, I feel like I'm more capable to like emotionally relate to people now. Cause once again, when you're all like numbed out, you can kind of like, you can connect with people, but you, you're not going to be able to feel that like deep, deep connection, you know, of like actually being able to relate to someone on like an emotional level. Yeah. Um, and I feel, I feel like I can do that now, which is, which is lovely. <laughs> uh, it's obvi- obviously in certain circles, like the whole detransition thing in general kind of throws a wrench in being able to like relate to people or like befriend people on a certain mm-hmm. level, uh, just because there, there are people who, there, there are people who genuinely do not like the fact that I, I, fe- I think it just makes them a little bit uncomfortable in the sense of like, that's not supposed to happen. That's you know, that's, that's not, you're not supposed to exist. You're not supposed to detransitioners aren't, they're not supposed to be a thing. If you listen to all of the, you know, like the narratives surrounding transition, especially childhood transition is detransitioners are not really supposed to be a thing. And really, I feel like the reason people only really know about it as much as they do now is because that those of us who have put our face to have made such a racket about it that like you you kind of can't ignore it to a certain you have to acknowledge it at the very least now um but yeah i, I guess throw, throw back to earlier in the conversation when i i mentioned that that one person from work that i really connected to um 
I had posted on my private, on my like personal Instagram story, I posted just like the, the side effects of puberty blockers and a headline and then statement about stuff going on in the Tavistock clinic, like and what was happening there. And then I think a statement about the Florida Board of Medicine, which was going on at the time, that whole hearing thing. Mind you, this was before I had even detransitioned or like at least fully committed to detransitioning. Um, and that got, when that person saw that, despite the fact that like, this is someone who knew me in real life and knows that I'm not a jerk to people, even people I heavily disagree with, I'm still going to be cordial and nice to you. Um, saw that and sent me an entire text that just, I was like, like this like, took up like my whole screen. And it said, I can't talk to you anymore. This is what you're posting is hateful. Uh, and rhetoric like this is essentially like you're going to cause kids to kill themselves if we keep spreading those beliefs around. Um, and I think that was, that, that was, a, that was a great wake up call to, oh my God, what is wrong with this community? Like I had already distanced myself from like the mainstream trans community at that point because they were getting a little bit too insane <laughs> for my liking. Cause I remind you, I was like, even in high school, I was like the quiet kid who emailed the teachers about it and didn't get mad at people for getting things wrong and was tried to the best of my teenage ability to be very understanding of things and other people's yeah. perspectives on it. And then you like the, the community is then seen as like activists screaming at people about pronouns. So like, even then I, like I said, I moved up to Minnesota and I just like, didn't tell anyone about it. Cause I didn't want that. I'd gone through the entirety of high school being known as the trans kid. I didn't want to, I didn't want that, hmm. you know, in college. Um, so I, I, I did that. Plus that got that response. That was a great little wake up call. And then it, it's been one of those things that like, I, I, I approach with caution. Um, I like, I'll tell people the, the way I've done it in my, at least my personal life is essentially just like, a passive refusal to even interact with the topic in the sense of like, if I'm in a space where it's like, okay, share your pronouns, I just don't do it. <laughs> like if they, they're like, okay, say your name, your pronouns, and then like answer some icebreaker questions. I just say my name and answer the questions and I skip over the pronoun thing entirely. Mm -hmm. um, which is very, it's actually more noticeable because I'm like normally the only one who doesn't give a response to that. But I'll, I'll do that if someone you know, if someone comes up and asks me specific, like one on one, like, okay, what Luca, what, like, what am I supposed to call you? What pronouns do you use? Um, the, the response I've started giving people is whatever makes you feel most comfortable, um, or whatever you see me as. And let me tell you that both of those responses causes a mild level of panic in people just hmm. straight off that it does because, um, people are, are conditioned at this point to be like, no, you're, you're supposed to tell me. And when you tell people to just use their eyes, they do not like that. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll do that because I'm, I'm at the point where like, one, I'm not gonna, I've already been through all this. I'm not going to go back to demanding people use certain words for me when yeah. I don't base my sense of self at all anymore on how other people see me like that. Um, but also like, I don't know, man. I have bigger things to worry about than the words people use for me. 
Like I got, there are so much more important things in my life to, to focus my attention on mm-hmm. than, than that. And like letting go of that after years of essentially being, being told by myself and those around me and the broader trans community, like that is no, that is something super important that you have to focus on all the time really made me realize just how much of like my teenage years, I kind of wasted focusing on that. Um, and like putting so much stake in something that at the end of the day, like to myself is completely meaningless. Hmm. You know, like whether, whether or not someone, you know, calls me ma'am or sir at the end of the day, doesn't change who I like that I know who I am and you know my my sense of self it's it's something that I don't see a point in worrying over anymore um I find it vaguely amusing when people try and figure out like what I am specifically when I I maybe you know have a sore throat or something and my voice is dropped a little bit uh, I, I I get they themed a lot like a lot <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is which is fine i i just find i just find it funny yeah again i don't want to editorialize or compound your trauma but it took me I, we met at genspect in, in person mm-hmm. and it took it took me a while like a feminine boy masculine girl <laughs> feminine boy masculine girl feminine boy masculine girl um but, it know, is no, it, and, and you are you are not the you are not the only one, and I think the fact that one I'm I'm skinny, and two I I don't hide the fact that I've had a double mastectomy. I just kind of wear what I want, and oftentimes yeah. that includes stuff where like I'm not hiding that I have a flat chest, yeah. um, which can be vaguely confusing for people at times. Well, I'm more. Um, it's more confusing. It's, your your face is very pretty. Like, like you stand out in the room. So it's like a pretty face, but like nondescript, <laughs> ambiguous mm-hmm. body. So it's like, wait, wait, wait. An amb- ambiguous rest of me. Um, yeah. it, it also doesn't help that testosterone gave me an Adam's apple, which sucks oh, because that, oh, that is, I can that see is that. one thing yeah. that people, people are like, mm. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't, I don't really care. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't really care. And also I fully accept that, you know, like, in the future, if I wanted to do any kind of reconstruction, like I fully accept that that is just cosmetic. Like that's not, that is purely like aesthetically based, not me claiming I'm like curing something by, yeah, <laughs> by, by getting like something physical done. But I, I'm also someone who, like I said, I don't really hide the fact I have a double mastectomy. Um, matter of fact, I have tattoos on both ends of my mastectomy scarring. Oh. Um, so in in the summer when I wear I wear a lot of like the dude bro cut off tank tops, uh, because I've been through enough. I'm gonna wear what I damn well please at this point. Yeah. Um, you can you can see both the little, I have I have a safety pin, um, that's kind of like pinning the end of my scarring together, and that that one's one that has almost grown in meaning as like mm-hmm. the longer I've had it because it it started out as a kind of a simple oh i want something on the end of my scarring um and it's kind of grown into like okay this is now a symbol for me kind of putting myself back together after everything 
um, to, to the point where like I had a, I had a safety pin in my Twitter bio for a while and then no one understood what it meant without seeing the post about my tattoo. And so I took it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, funnily, fun, funnily enough, having the ends of my mastectomy scarring with a fun little tattoo on each end, um, completely negates any questions I get about like the actual scarring itself, because people normally just point out the tattoos. Mm. Um, so in my books, that's a good investment because instead of like, oh, what happened there? Oh, what's going on? It's, oh, I like your tattoo. <laughs> that's so, yeah. that's so fun. Hmm. Clever deflection. So there, there's regret, there's resentment, there's forgiveness. And I guess you have to forgive yourself if you don't want to be miserable and you probably have to mm -hmm. forgive other people. But what about, what are your thoughts towards the people who enabled your 16 year old self to go down this crash course and transhumanism? I, I view it as, um, you know, you know, similarly to a sentiment that was brought up several times during the GenSpec conference actually, is that the path to, the path to hell is paid with good intentions. And when someone truly believes in something, like a lot of these professionals do, um, when, when you think about it for a little bit, like that is a extremely hard cognitive dissonance to break through, to accept that something that you are like true, a true believer in, and you truly believe in that you are helping people when you're doing this, to then turn around and even have to accept that what you are doing could be hurting people that is a level of like you know mental breakthrough that i don't i don't think a lot of these professionals are ever going to be able to handle because especially if they've been doing this over and over and over and they've promoted and sent so many children down this path them having to come to the realization that you know they could be hurting people that's enough to break someone hmm. and it, it lays out it almost lays out similarly as like the path that I talked about earlier, how I had that fork in the road of like the two different paths I could have taken. Uh, you're going to see these professionals simply dig their heels in. Mostly. You're going to see a few that are going to take the path of like, hey, I believed in this, this is, but now I realize this is wrong, this is hurting people. But for the most part, it is much easier to dig your heels in um, and just keep going because that is pretty much, like I said, that's all you've ever known, especially if yeah. you are still a true believer and you think you're helping people. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the the man who, like, normalized lobotomies even after they were no longer, they were, like, no longer seen as a medical practice, still went around, like, you know, proclaiming his, you know, his, his, um, his, his miracle cure, so. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I heard at the GenSpec conference that complicates that story a little bit is that he won the Nobel Prize for lobotomy yeah. because lobotomies took care of a massive institutional health mm -hmm. uh, problem. So the lobotomies allowed all these dirty, grotesque, uh, bothersome institutions to kind of get the people out of them. And now they're mm -hmm. all in the streets of San Francisco. But not for this weekend while well, uh, <laughs> China's in town. Who, who knew all it took was a communist dictator showing up to clean up <laughs> American cities? Mm. Who knew? Who mm. knew? <laughs> Are you, do you feel uh, any regret for being based? 
elaborate, please? <laughs> are you based in? Are you, do you do you feel any regret about that? Um, no, I don't feel any regret. I I, I am someone who I believe strongly, essentially in hold tight to your morals and loosely to your political affiliation mm. where like i know where i stand on things yeah. and i'm gonna take that stand even if you yeah. don't like even if it doesn't maybe fall in line with what people want me to say mm. um <laughs> so <laughs> there's that which which does mean me like occasionally getting slightly spicy on twitter but <laughs> We always like a little Twitter space. <laughs> I, I I try I try my best to keep my Twitter focused on like the issue that I mainly discuss. But sometimes I'm just like, guys, or like you're looking like my likes or like the replies to stuff, and I'm just like talking yeah. about things, um, <laughs> uh, which I which, which is fine. Oh, People's. Megan Murphy's hosting a uh, Twitter space about why are women up in arms about a man in a dress? Oh, no. Is that which 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 thing could that possibly be referencing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know are, why everybody's there are several. There are several issues of that exact variety that have been just permeating my Twitter feed lately. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty wild stuff. I I have like three freaking episodes about that one freaking issue. I feel so bad for my audience. Um, <laughs> now we're gonna talk about a man in a dress for a week. <laughs> part uh, part whatever of yeah the the ongoing saga. <laughs> yeah no my oh god the, the, my entire Twitter feed has been a mess about that. Just uh, the the gen spec stuff, which I I am just staying out of because it is such a. Were you were is, you at all threatened by that? No, no, but that I, I, no. <laughs> I was also not involved enough to really comment on stuff, so I'm just yeah. staying out of it because I don't need yeah. to be dog piled by either side on Twitter. Yeah, but you were at the conference. You saw people of varying gender expressions. I was at the conference. Did you feel um, that you were in danger at any time from for from the people there? No, <laughs> not at all. I, yeah, no, not 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 at all. <laughs> you don't really was, cling to the female just, identity, like the, or do you? I I I am someone who I'm like, yeah, I, I'm I'm female. That's my sex. That's obviously on like certain topics. That's that's an important thing, you know. Yeah. But at yeah. this at the same time, I am like, I'm me, and I'm not gonna, you know, let being female limit, like what what I can do or what my what opinions I can have. What, like, I'm not gonna let it dictate where I have to be hmm. in my life, essentially. At this point. <laughs> hmm. Um. Because you know, I still I still have all my I still have all my same interests that I had when I was identifying as male. I still have, you know, a lot of the same opinions I had when I was identifying as male in terms of politics, uh, which which is interesting to think about, considering there had to be a level of double think going on to hold the opinions I have and then also be trans identified. But <laughs> but you know, it's it's one of the things where like on certain issues, yes, it matters. I'm female, but. In my, in my day to day life, it's I mean, it's just it's just it's just what I am. It's not. 
it's what I am. It's not necessarily who I am, I guess is the way to phrase that. Mm-hmm. You know, because above all, you know, the, the people that, you know, I hang out with and that I talk with about things, they don't, me being female really doesn't ever come up. It's the fact that they like what I'm talking about or we get along. Yeah. Stuff, stuff like that. Obviously, on certain issues, it's like, oh, specifically like stuff like, you know, sex-based medical care. That's one I care about. Mm-hmm. Um, staying intact. I think I, I think I, I did tweet, um, if by some, I, I think the exact tweet is, if by some straight up miracle, I am able to get pregnant someday and someone ever calls me a birthing person, I will flip the table. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's because I've been, That's I've, fair. I've been through, I've been through enough and that is so dehumanizing. Um, yeah, but but stuff like that. But I, I'm not. It, it's part of the reason I have pol- I have politically homeless in my Twitter bio, just because I'm not really. You don't cling. I don't know. I'm not really like. I don't cling. Like I said, I hold tight to my mor- morals and hold loose to my political affiliation. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't really care what label people think I am in that in the political sense. I'm just I have my beliefs, and those are my beliefs. <laughs> You went from somebody who was obsessively, compulsively fixated on how other people saw you and how you saw yourself, and now you kind of loosened up a little bit. Is that this? Mm-hmm. Is that the another miracle uh, downstream effect of that miracle cure called maturity? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I think I think that's just called I I grew up a little bit and realized <laughs> that the majority of people like really don't care how how you look. Um in that sense or like what certain aspects of your body are that like you notice but they will never notice mm-hmm. um yeah and it, like i said it's on the point i i don't really hyper fixate on my on my appearance all that much anymore like i i don't know i get like dressed up for things sometimes and i guess then i care a little bit about it then but <laughs> Like I, I rolled up, I rolled up to the Genspec conference on Friday wearing loose jeans, cowboy boots, a t-shirt, and had a flannel tied around my waist, which I don't think really screams, I care about how people perceive me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, like, like I said, I, I'm, I'm me and I'm, I'm happy with that. And I've kind of let go of needing all of that societal validation for looking a certain way or performing something within a certain like norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's a lot, it's a, in my opinion, it's a lot better that way. You know, I can, I can just enjoy things a little bit more without having to, hmm. you know, constantly worry, are people going to use the right words for me? Are people going to judge how I dress? Are people going to, you know, I, I, I'm no longer letting other people build my self-image for me. Do you think, uh, what would your 16-year-old self think about you? No. Um, I think my I think my 16-year-old self would be proud of me uh, for the fact that I am able to speak in front of other people alone because I used to straight up i'm not sure what shifted when i started like speaking and like testifying places but for a little context when i was in high school 
Um, I was the kid who had to give the presentation to the teacher at like during lunch hour or after school because talking in front of people made me so anxious. I would like get dizzy and almost fall over. Hmm. Um, and then you like you flash forward to now and here and at my job, I can, I can like talk in front of people now. Uh, and I, th I think for that, for that development alone, my 16 year old self would be thrilled. Hmm. Um, but I, I also, I like to think that my 16 year old self would, would be proud of me just for finally feeling okay. You know, hmm. cause I was, I was even at 16, um, pretty much all the, all the way up until I, I was still in a rather vulnerable place with everything. And I think the level of feeling okay and just kind of confident in myself now that I have is something that I don't even think my 16 year olds of could ever see possible for me. Hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that, obviously, but, and I like, I like to think younger me would be happy too, even if it took there, one hell of a room to get here. <laughs> absolutely. There's a light in you. It was very evident just being in the room with you across the room. There's like, there's a brightness in you, a lightness to you. <laughs> I, nice. I, I try, I try my best. Um, uh, what was, I, I, I can't remember. Let me look something up. Cause someone, someone told me at one point that my name actually has something. Oh, Luca. Yeah. To do with Lucia. Light. Um, and it's, oh god not that one <laughs> <laughs> he's the lord of light I, okay tangent little tangent but funny tangent i had a friend in high school with very religious parents i think they were like jehovah's witnesses or something something like that who straight up would not let me hang out with their kid because they thought my name was like was oh. like short for lucifer oh okay what was your name it was, was it just luca it, it was still luca um, okay but it that was oh god that just made me think of that because that that was absolutely insane um <laughs> but i i i try my best to at least even when it's hard be some kind of positive presence of like it gets better um and also at places like like the gen spec conference i man i was just so happy to be there i'm like oh my god they let me in this is so much fun i'm meeting people um <laughs> Uh, I was I was making bead lizards just in the whole thing. Yeah, I got mine right over there. Hotel. You made a wonderful <laughs> one for me. That was so special. Um, but I was I was just, I was, I'm just always happy to be in a space where I feel like I can talk about weird niche stuff that normal people don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a very nerdy like conference. That, that was that was it was it was so it was so nerdy and just so nice to get to talk about stuff that like I think about a lot, but I never get the chance to just like go off on tangents about. Um, but yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I try my best because also just because like the, the entire D trans sphere is like objectively very depressing. <laughs> Uh, and I, I do think that there is a genuine need to start to show that, Hey, it does get better. There is hope after D like it, your life does not end in this entire cycle. It does not end with detransitioning. It ends with hope and living your life. 
And that is like the, Mm. what I would hope would be the goal is to live your life in a way that is based in reality and have hope in that because things do get better. They get, they get so much better (laughs) in, in ways that, you know, if you're still clinging to a trans identity, you don't, you maybe don't even know are possible yet. That's a great way to end the episode. <laughs> yep. Luca, do you want to plug anything, any resources that you found particularly uh, impactful or any place where people can hear you dish on a really niche topic? <laughs> um, the best place to follow me is on my Twitter, which if you just search Luca Hine into like the search bar, it should pop up. Otherwise, the handle is at one done bun. And... That's really, if you want to read, like, if you want to check out more D-Trans experiences, which I'm, I'm assuming your audience is already probably familiar with a lot of this topic, uh, there's the subreddit, if you just want to be a passive observer. There. But aside, aside from that, I don't, I don't got a lot going on. <laughs> hmm. Well, thank you so much, Luca, for joining me. Mm-hmm. It was great to meet you and wonderful to be able to hear your story in depth. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And wait, is it going to? Okay. That's it. Cool.